I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Christy Strait. I'm hanging out with a crew, and we've become family at that point, and we're in some beautiful location, and we're all just hanging out, having fun shooting a movie. And I'm just like, this is yeah. incredible. This is so much fun the happiest moment of my life, but it's happened so many times. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Want to walk in their shoes, silent giants Want to study they move, silent giants Want to know what they do, silent giants Silent giants, y'all <laughs> God bless and welcome to another episode of the Silent Giants Podcast A podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture I'm your host, Corey Cambridge To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram At, at Silent Giants Podcast And to keep up with my life, music, and more be sure to follow me as well at at Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is superstar makeup artist Christy Strait. Christy is one of my dearest friends who is one of the top makeup artists in the worlds of fashion, television, and movies. She's touched up folks like David Guetta, Sally Fields, and Don Lemon, and works closely with publications like Paper, Billboard, and Hollywood Reporter. Christy popped by my bedside apartment, and we chopped it up about all things makeup. We chatted about her early life growing up in Utah, how she broke into the industry when she first arrived to Los Angeles. She breaks down the X's and O's of the business side of the makeup industry and so much more. I learned so much about Christy as a human and her work as a makeup artist, and I'm sure you'll do the same. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the superstar makeup artist, my friend, the silent giant, Christy Strait. Christy, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Very, very happy. This is super long overdue. It is. First of all, what happens is that with your real friends, like, and everyone's my friend, I'm not saying that they're fake friends out here. I, I love everybody, but people that are going to be at your wedding for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, I see you tomorrow. Exactly. I see you tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you're gone for three months. It's cool. I see when you get back. Well, and especially we live so close. So, you know, it, I mean, it, I walked here. So. Our friendship has allowed us to be lazy in a very yes. positive way. Yes. The, the laziness is a, is a testament to how much I adore you. <laughs> And how close we are as friends. Yes, exactly. There you go. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm very good. So, Christy's uh, dating my best friend, Zoe. Lorenzo. Yes. Yes. So, 
<laughs> just for so the when audience. I say we, yes. we're talking about me and my war friend. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're so good at friends, we have to give context to how good yeah. friends we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and when I was talking to Lorenzo, he was saying that you grew up in Utah, but you live like farther away from Salt Lake. Oh, yeah, like two hours south of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, it, what, what's the town called? It's called Spring City. Okay. It's a tiny town, 900 people, a little farm town. Whoa. Yeah. What's it like growing up there? Exactly how you'd imagine it, probably. How would I imagine it? (laughs) I mean, I don't even know how to imagine it. It was honestly, it was amazing. It was a wonderful place to grow up. So beautiful. It was all farmland and then mountains. Um, And it was, I mean, but slow. You know, my town had a gas station, an elementary school, and a post office, and that was it. So even if you needed to go to the grocery store, you had to go to the town over. Did you ever have the feeling of like being there and wanting to just like, when was the initial feeling of wanting to break out and, and, and leave Utah? Um, quite young, actually. Um, and what, what, what caused it so young? Honestly, I don't know. People ask me that a lot because now living in, uh, you know, I lived in LA for a while, I lived in New York for many years now. And people ask me that all the time. Like, w- why did you decide you wanted to leave? And I don't really have like a particular answer. I just remember when I was like, I don't know, in probably middle school, maybe a freshman in high school, I was like... Okay, when, you know, like I knew, I knew I was going to leave. Um, and like, I, I remember actually having this very specific experience. I went to the ballet up in Salt Lake City with, it was with my school. I don't remember what class it was, but um, maybe music, music class or something. And we went to the ballet up in the city. And I remember when we left the ballet, like, I, you know, wore this, like, I thought I looked cool, wore this, like, cool dress with sneakers. I thought I was this, like... <laughs> Badass. I have like Avril Lavigne in my mind. Totally. Yeah. I, I was definitely channeling Avril Lavigne. Um, and I remember coming out of the ballet thinking like, oh, I just had this amazing cultural experience. Then I looked down the street. And, you know, we were in downtown Salt Lake City, which is tiny, but to me then was huge and amazing. Um, and I saw these like this, like restaurant bar down the street and all these adults out drinking and eating and like laughing and socializing. And I was like, that's what I want to be doing. I want to go over there and hang out with these people. And I was like probably 14 or 15 years old. And I, that was my first actual memory of being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave Spring City. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I had a similar experience. My mom, she used to get off of work. We used to drive to, uh, uh, she, she would get off work on Friday nights and she would drive through downtown Richmond. Yeah. And the same people at bars or same people like drinking or having fun mm-hmm. and like seeing energy around me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think that was the key thing was that just seeing energy because mm-hmm. in, in the suburbs there was zero energy. You yeah. just go home and you're like, oh, that's it? Yeah, Word. exactly. So, yeah. so seeing people being out at midnight was like, wow, people yeah. are out doing this? Yeah, and they always looked cool, you know? Like, you know they had a cool life? Yeah. At least to, <laughs> to me then, at that age, I thought they had a cool life. But, yeah. How did, uh, were you like a big MTV, like pop culture type of? No, so here's the thing. I I mean, I grew up Mormon. So, uh, you know, in a Mormon town of 900 people, I had zero part of pop culture growing up. Like, I knew the extent of my pop culture was like, I listened to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Um, and I watched like Boy Meets World on Disney Channel. And yeah. that, that was sort of the extent of my pop culture. I didn't know anything about anything until I moved out to LA when I was uh, like right after high school. And then I was pummeled with pop culture. And I remember always, 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 always being in these conversations with people and having no idea what they were talking about and always feeling really insecure and stupid because they would reference people or movies or music or whatever. And I would have no idea what people were talking about most of the time. And I had to sort of like really, it took many years for me to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm part of like the world now. Yeah, I've been to Utah a couple of times and 
I, you know, I'm never going to ask people about their like religious affiliation or like, what's it like being Mormon? Right. Let's kind of assume that a lot of people are out there are Mormon. Yeah. Is that, is being Mormon in Utah the pop culture? Like, is that the dominant culture? Um, I mean, for the most, where I grew up, yes. And again, I grew up several hours south of Salt Lake City and some of the other bigger cities. Um, and I think statistically, there's less Mormons in Utah than I thought there were um, percentage-wise. But where I grew up, it was everything. Like, ev- if you didn't go to church, you weren't really friends with most of the, like, it was, the church was the social life, you right. know, for the most part. And almost everyone in my school, for the most part, was Mormon. So it very much was just like, your social life was church, more or less. Yeah. Uh, what, what do your parents do? My mom was this, uh, always a stay-at-home mom, but she recently, uh, several years ago, went to massage therapy school. So she's a licensed massage therapist now. Um, but she raised all of us, stayed at home. And my dad, I, to be completely honest, I don't know exactly what he does. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I have this, I have this he theory. The I have this theory that he's, you know, some secret assassin or something. Now he works um, for a small airline. Um, that's affiliated. It's sort of like a sister airline, I think, to Delta. It's called SkyWest. Okay. Um, we started as a mechanic for them many, many, many years ago um, and worked his way up. And so he does some sort of managerial position where he oversees all of the um, mechanics of all the airplanes that come in and out of his airport. But then he also does a lot of freelance stuff doing like buying and selling of aircrafts or trading aircrafts or something. He goes to Brazil a lot. So again, I <laughs> he might have a whole secret life I don't know about, but that's the extent of my knowledge of what he does. <laughs> I, I was just watching uh, a lot of YouTube videos on Bernie Madoff. Mm. All his kids said the same thing. I never knew what he really did. Yeah. I, <laughs> I have like this basic sense, a, a shell of a sense of what he does, but the in and outs of his actual career, I, I, it's unknown to me. <laughs> uh, did your parents' career choice or... Anything ever shaped you to be into makeup and how did you want to be a makeup artist? Um, I think my career path and my life path was so like a, a weird tangent to anything I grew up being around. Like it was, my family doesn't care about film or TV or fashion. There's not in that world at all. So I don't know where that came from, honestly. Yeah, why'd you learn to care about it? Um, well, when I was, I think, 14 years old, I got it in my head that I wanted to be an actress. And so my parents were very generous and took me to all these acting classes, paid all this money to get headshots and send me to auditions and get training and all that. And then, I don't know, a year and a half after doing it, I realized I hated, hated, hated it. Hated being in front of the camera. But I had developed this sense of that I wanted to be in the film world or in the entertainment world. Um, And I had had my makeup done for the first time ever to get headshots done. You know, I was, I think, 14 years old, so it was, like, the most simple, simple, simple makeup ever. You know, you probably not even tell I was wearing makeup, but to me, who had never worn makeup before, I felt amazing. And it was, like, this really amazing experience for me to get makeup done and have pictures taken. So I think that stuck with me. Um, But again, I never even really played with makeup after that until after graduating high school and going to L.A. and starting the process of becoming a makeup artist. I was never, like, doing makeup on my friends or myself or anything. It's, I don't know, it's kind of bloomed out of nowhere. What inspired the move to LA? Well, I, at that point, knew that I wanted to do makeup and film. So I knew LA was the place to go and there was makeup schools out there that I had been researching. Um, So when you moved out to LA, you had the intention of getting into makeup. I just don't know where that specific seed came from. (laughs) 
But by the time I was 15, 16, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Do you think it came from your experience of wanting to act early and then people doing your makeup? And then maybe that was like, oh, that seems kind of cool. Like it's a, you can be in the world of acting. Yeah. So maybe you knew that, okay, I have this knack and love for entertainment mm-hmm. and love for acting, but this is pretty cool. It's creative and it's involved in the world that I enjoy. Yeah. It must have stemmed from the the short time that I did acting. Yeah. Um, and and the, ex- the experience of having my makeup done for the first time. And I do remember specifically thinking I wanted to do special effects makeup, particularly. I didn't, in the beginning, didn't even have too much of an interest in doing beauty makeup and fashion makeup. I really wanted to do special effects and film only. That was my goal. And I think that probably, yeah, stemmed from acting for a little while. Was there like a, a role model that you had in, before you made the move to LA, was there a role model in the world of makeup or cosmetology that you had in Utah? No. <laughs> I was, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was so out of my world. It was this like idea that I just got. I was like, you know what? I want to do makeup. I'm going to go to LA and do makeup. And I just made it happen. It was not, I didn't grow up in that world. I didn't grow up wearing makeup. I didn't grow up watching a lot of films. So it, I honestly have no idea where that, I think I was wow. just meant to do it. And I just decided one day that's what I wanted to try to do. And I stuck with it and I did it. And now here I am. And was your family very supportive of, of you making the move out to LA? They were, they were. I think they, at first they probably were like, why? But they've always been very supportive and never tried to hold me back from what I wanted to do. So, Tell me the story of moving out there. The first thing I did was I got a job as a nanny because I wanted to raise some money for myself to like live in the, the real world. Um, so I had landed a nanny job before I moved out there. You were 18, 19? I think I was still 17 because I graduated a semester early. Okay. I think I was just about to turn 18. So I remember packing up the car and leaving and giving my dad a big hug goodbye and having like, I almost started to cry in that moment of like, I can't believe I'm leaving like my childhood home and my family. And I was nervous, obviously. Um, But then, you know, we got out there and she dropped me off and I didn't have a choice after that. I was there. I was stuck. But how did you first like initially find work as a makeup artist? Um, So after working as a nanny for a little while, I went to makeup school in LA. Um, It's just this quick like three month course where they just teach you like the ABCs of doing makeup and building a portfolio and that kind of thing. And then I just started doing a lot of test shoots. So finding photographers and just asking if they wanted a makeup artist and working a lot of free jobs, just like trying to get pictures for my portfolio. Um, A lot of that. And then I got a job at a makeup counter, of course, to pay the bills. I feel like Most makeup artists have to do that in the beginning. And I hated it. I hated, hated, hated the retail world. I was not good at sales. But, you know, I was able to practice on every face imaginable. You know, every age, every color. So that was, you know, good training, good skill. And then just kept doing random freelance stuff. I didn't start really getting paid to do makeup for a couple of years. I was just doing free gigs and test shoots and you know, favors for people. But in my mind, I was like, I'm getting experience. This is great. Yeah. I think the very first paid job I ever got was actually a pretty amazing first job. And I got it through um, a friend. It was a music video, uh, an Estelle, the Estelle and David Guetta song, um, like One Love, I think it was called. Um, I did that music video. She, Estelle had her own makeup artist, but I did David and all the dancers. And I think the pay was like a hundred dollars or something terrible, 150 bucks maybe. And I remember holding up the check and being like, this is my first paid gig and just being so pumped about it. Yeah. Tell me about like, how'd you land that gig and tell me more about like being on the set. So it was a friend actually of Lorenzo's, one of his very, very good friends. Um, she, I think she was a production coordinator or something like that on, on the project. 
Um, so she hooked me up with it. Uh, very, very kind of her to have the trust in me to do it. Um, honestly, I remember walking up to the set. We shot in downtown LA. Um, it was an overnight shoot. So I think I arrived to set at like 5 or 6 p.m. And we were going to wrap at 5 or 6 the next morning. Um, and I was so nervous. I had never been on a big set before. I'd only ever done like little test photo shoots. So I didn't know who anyone was. I didn't know the, you know, in the in the crew, the hierarchy of who I needed to talk to or who anyone was. I didn't understand how any of it worked. I just knew that I was there with my makeup and they were going to tell me what to do. <laughs> so I show up, get in the makeup trailer. David comes in. I do his grooming. It was fine, whatever. I probably looked like an idiot, but in my mind, I was like, I'm doing great. This is good. <laughs> um, and then there was dancers. We had to do all, a bunch of different characters. They needed a dancer turned into like to look like a homeless bum. Um, and he had come completely like clean, groomed, like he had just like shaved his beard and all this stuff. And they were like, you're supposed to be the homeless guy. Like we need you to be scruffy, makeup artist, make him scruffy. Do And like, I was just thrown into this crazy situation, but it worked and I did it. And I guess it turned out okay. I don't know. <laughs> what did you learn from that experience that has that helped you get to the next step? I think just the experience of being on a real set and seeing how it worked was just is was very eye-opening. It was like, okay, this is this is what real work looks like. This isn't me just like throwing some glitter on, you know, a wannabe model and throwing it up on Model Mayhem, which is a site that I don't know if it exists anymore, but it's where people would put up their portfolios. And um I think it was very eye-opening to be like, okay, this is real work and this is what I want to be doing. Um and just getting through that situation of being like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. getting through the day. So going from the girl who came from Utah to making the move to LA to pursue your career in makeup, what mistakes did you make from that point of leaving Utah to LA in your earlier years that you wish you could have changed or done a little bit differently? I guess simple things that probably everybody looks back on and is like, oh, I should have been smarter in that situation. You know, definitely should have saved my money more. Um, I think... I I wish I would have been a little more assertive and less shy back in my early days because I, I kind of got stuck in the retail world for a lot longer than I wanted to, to pay the bills. You had, you know, got to make that money. But I think I kind of got settled into getting that paycheck and working retail and leaving a lot less time for my freelance work and the work that I actually wanted to do. Um, and I was very shy and timid about like really pushing to get the work I wanted and networking and meeting people. And it just kind of like settled into my, my safe retail job for too long, I think. But again, I mean, you know, every experience is a learning experience and everything has brought me to where I am now. So in the end, it's all turned out okay. How did the move happen from you coming from LA to New York and, and what inspired that move? I had definitely gotten to a point in LA. I'd been there for about four and a half years and I knew I wanted to leave LA. Um, and I grew up a lot there from age, you know, 17 until 21. So I kind of started to grow into who I was as a person outside of, you know, Mormon, Utah. Um, but I started to not like the vibe of the city and the people and and the industry that I was in out there. I kind of, I mean, everyone says LA is a little sleazy and fake sometimes. And I love LA still and I work out there a lot. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it can be sleazy and fake and, you know, kind of wanted to get out. I, I knew LA was kind of over for me. I'd done my time there and I had always wanted to try New York. Of course, New, it's New York City. Um, and actually I met Lorenzo, my boyfriend, um, back when he was living in LA also. And we started hanging out a lot, got really close. Um, I didn't want to officially date, like date, date. I didn't want to be in a relationship. And I kind of 
um, broke his heart a little bit. And he's like, well, screw this. I'm moving to New York. And I was like, at that point, once he left, I was like, well, I really fucked that up. I think I lost my guy. Um, so I came out to New York to visit him for a weekend and ended up just staying in New York and never went back to LA. So I had always wanted to come and I knew that was the next step in my career, but it was a boy who got me out here. <laughs> a, great, a great boy. A great boy. And I'm still with him. So it, you know, it worked. Very much yeah, so. Almost nine years later. You're with him and with the city. With him and with the city. Anyway, yes. That's very, that's a very uh, rare thing to actually happen Yeah. where people move from one place to the other to New York and stick it out. Yeah. Like it's a very cliche story of like I moved out with, out here with a guy, or I moved to here with a girl, mm-hmm. and I give it six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the real world happens. You're like, oh, actually, never mind. Right. Well, yeah. well, I think also too. Do you think that making the move from a major city to another major city versus if most people come from like their little small town mm-hmm. and then they get to all this stuff that's mm-hmm. taking place in New York and it's really hard to adjust with another person was making the move from LA to New York. You think made it a smoother? Transition? Oh, smoother. Yes, for sure. I I think if I had gone from my town of 900 people straight to New York City, I think it would have been culture shock for me. And I don't know that I would have been able to navigate New York the way that it needs to be navigated yeah. at that age and being so like naive to the rest of the world. I, I think it, it was good that I did LA first. Uh, how did you get to New York and first start landing and getting your feet wet in the industry here? Sort of the same thing. It was, you know, I was in a brand new city, didn't know anybody except Lorenzo. Um, so it was kind of like starting fresh again. So kind of the same process. A lot of networking, sending emails to everyone I could possibly send an email to, photographers, producers, other makeup artists, um, assisting a lot of artists, doing still doing a lot of test shoots. Um, I, again, had to get a retail makeup counter job just to pay the bills. Um, so I was still doing that. But same thing, just building up, starting slow, starting doing free gigs still, and then slowly starting to land bigger gigs and uh I was very fortunate. Lorenzo knew a lot of people in the industry. So I would get random gigs doing, you know, TV promos or music videos or um, little fashion shoots here and there. And then it's it's the snowball effect. You know, once you meet a few people, then you meet more and then you meet more and you get better pictures and you get a better reel and it just starts to happen. Can I ask you a really stupid question? Yeah. Uh, what is a test shoot? You have a team of collaborative people. You have a photographer, a model, a hair artist, makeup artist, um, stylist who basically want to get newer, fresher pictures for their portfolio, you can do a test shoot, get pictures for your portfolio, but it's not necessarily for anything. Um, or a lot of times you'll do a test shoot for the pictures, but then the photographers will submit them to magazines and a lot of times they'll get picked up and then they'll be published. So okay. then you'll get a published piece from it. Um, but it's basically a, a collaborative shoot that you're doing that's not like you have a huge client like Nike coming in and being like, hey, we have the shoot. We need a makeup artist. You're collaborating with the team. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Team specifically just to get images. Got it. Okay. There's a phrase that you hear and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Basically means free work. Test shoot? Yeah. So you're just testing to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, testing out your skills, (laughs) testing out, you know, yeah, exactly. Is it a bunch of people practicing? Yeah. (laughs) More or less. I mean, I can't tell you how many terrible test shoots I did that you know, never use the pictures. What it was it was awful. But you never know until you're doing it. But then I've done so many test shoots that have gotten picked up by publications and and are still very strong images in my book that a client will see and be like, okay, I like her work, hire her. Um, Honestly, most makeup artists and and photographers, hairstylists that I know, every once in a while still will do a test shoot just because you're coming up with the idea. You can do what you want. It's a creative process for you. You're not being told what to do by the client or, you know, the director of the film or whatever. Like, if I do a test shoot, I'm going in there with the makeup ideas. I'm executing my ideas. And you come out with a really great picture from it or multiple pictures you can put in your book and it freshens up your book and you practice your skills. And When someone comes, like, I say, for instance, um, it's for a, a movie. How do you get that job traditionally? Is it through like an agent? Is it through the producer of the film? How do you typically land a job as a freelance makeup artist? I'm not familiar with that world. Um, well, there's different worlds. The film world is its own thing versus like the fashion print ad world. Um, so if you're doing a film, usually it's the producers that'll hire you. And it's okay. through word of mouth, typically. Someone that you've worked with before is on the production and they'll recommend you. Or if you're in the union, I just got into the union this year. So if you're in the union, a lot of times there's like lists, production lists of they can go onto the union website and see who's available and hire that way too. But most of it's word of mouth. Producers or directors will hire. How has, you know, for the audience who may not know what the union is or what the union does, like how does that help um, a freelance makeup artist or hairstylist in the world of film? So the union, um, obviously its main thing is to protect um, its members. So if you're doing um, a TV show or a film, um, your rates are protected. Your uh, There's very specific rules about um, hours and meals um, and rate of pay and um, timing of pay and all that stuff. Um, it also provides um, health insurance benefits and all the things. So it's sort of like a protection because we're all freelancers. We don't have like an employer that provides all those things. Okay. It's kind of the, the umbrella of protection that way. Um, and most of the, pretty much any uh, network television is going to be hiring only union crews. A lot of the bigger movies will hire only union crews. So if you're in the union, you uh, are eligible and able to work on, you know, the bigger, better work that's out there. You mentioned that in the world of of fashion, um, there's not a union, but in the world of film and television, there is a union yeah. for makeup artists. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the like the aspect of representation um, for for makeup because I know that actors have representation or musicians have representation. Right. Yep, same thing. Makeup artists, there are lots of um, agencies that rep um, makeup artists, hairstylists, wardrobe stylists, all that. Um, so same thing. You have an agent that represents you, gets the clients, um, they take a percentage of your rate just like an actor's agent would. And How do you go about getting an agent like to begin with? Is it something that happens um, 
like, did you get in the union because of having an agent or did you find no. an agent through being in the union or? Um, it's, it's very separate, actually. Um, so I, I've had an agent for about three years. The, the agency is um, Ennis. My booker is Danielle. Um, uh, basically, they really rep me in uh, the fashion advertising world. Um, you, I mean, how I talked about how I used to just do lots of test shoots. You start like building your book. Um, once you get a portfolio that's on par with an agency's expectations. I mean, I even started assisting with my agency first, assisting their artists. And then eventually once my book got stronger and I started building my relationship with them uh, a few years in, then I was ready to sign and they were ready to have me on their roster. And so. rep artist means the makeup artists that are assigned to them? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Any agency that's going to rep makeup artists, they rep them really in like the fashion advertising celebrity type world. And then the union is um, film and TV, but they're not they're not actually out there booking you work. It's just a union to protect your wages, your they get you health benefits. Um, Got it. Okay, right. so in the fashion world, you have an agent mm-hmm. who will assign you for your print advertising mm-hmm. type stuff, right? Right, New York Fashion Week. Right, type they have stuff. a roster of clients um, that they will come to them to book artists. Um, and then they have a roster of makeup artists that they will like put on those jobs. So can you have, there must be agents, or I'm assuming there are uh, agents in doing the same thing, but in the film world. There's not really. I mean, really? you can, you know, certain certain agents will have connections where maybe it'll, it'll be a, a celebrity connection or a producer who they happen to know. Um, and that that connection could happen where they could, you know, get a, get a makeup artist on that type of job. But there's not agents that works specifically in film for makeup artists. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it still the majority of your work um, coming from your own networking or is it now shifting more coming from the agent side? Most of the work that I get um, in the advertising print uh, fashion world is through the agency. I mean, I still do a lot of my own network. I send out emails, send out, you know, portfolio updates. The hustle never ends. So I still am doing that a lot on my own. Um, But the agency does a ton of that as well. So between the combined efforts, um, yeah. So, you know, and, you know, I have like a more music background. Mm -hmm. So I know that if I were to get a manager, right, and sign to a management agency, I would have to go to an entertainment lawyer to have them review over my stuff. Right. Like for the makeup world and signing onto an agency, is it the same process? Do you have to get an attorney to read over stuff? And um, I mean, there is a contract. Um, my agency, ha- you know, they have their their general artist contract that they have written up saying, this is the percentage we make. Um, this is how, you know, basically the rules of our, of our agency work. This is our agreement. Um, I specifically put a clause into my contract with them uh, because I do a lot of film. Yeah. Um, that the any film work that I get or union work that I get is separate from them um, okay. because they really just aren't in that world at all. So if, say if I book a movie and I'm gone for six weeks, um, they don't take a percentage of that. Um, those are my clients because they really just don't deal in that world at all. Okay. Um, I mean, I didn't specifically have a lawyer look over it. No, because it was a pretty simple contract. But yeah, there okay. is a contract that you sign. One thing I'm fascinated by, too, about your career is that the, your range and diversity with the makeup that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I always tell folks, like, you know, go with the Denzel Washington approach, where Denzel Washington is a great actor, but he always plays himself yeah. as, like, the good black guy in the movie. Yeah. Um, but in your career as makeup, you know, how have you been able to diversify yourself with film and in fashion and in advertising publications? How have you been able to manage all those different aspects? 
Um, I think I've just been very fortunate in the people that I've met along the way um, and my specific goals. Like I mentioned earlier, when I was 15, decided I wanted to do makeup, I specifically wanted to do special effects in film. I had no intention of doing beauty or fashion or advertising or anything um, because I always had that goal in mind. It was something I was always pushing towards and striving for and um, trying to get closer to. So even though the first several years of my career, I was doing just uh, fashion and beauty type work, I kind of started perfecting that skill, um, getting a lot of work in that world. I think a lot of makeup artists would choose one or the other. I wasn't okay with just doing one or the other. Like every chance I had to do a commercial or a TV promo or a music video or a short film, or then I started getting into actually doing feature films, um, I would take every opportunity I had. And the special effects that I do, I've actually just sort of like self-taught and learned as I learned as I went. Um, I think a lot of makeup artists, will they will choose one world or the other. And I have really sort of been fluid between the two. What's the preparation like going into different mediums? Well, the prep for a film is definitely uh, more intense. Uh, there's going to be, you know, production meetings with directors and actors and producers where you're talking about the creative, um, you're talking about the characters, you're building these characters, you're figuring out everything that you need in your kit for each character, um, the development of all the characters and what what goes into making the story come alive. And also, if there's ever any special effects involved, you're planning the effects and the prosthetics and the, the products that you're going to need for that. So it's a lot of preparation before the movie even begins. Um, whereas if you're doing like an ad campaign, you're like, okay, can I see pictures of the models? What's the basic look? And I show up with my kit and you just go from there. It's a, okay. it's a one or two or three day thing and it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, so the prep is nothing more than like, what's the look that the client wants? You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who would you want to be mentored by? Uh, Sean Grigg. Who's Sean Grigg? So she is such a badass. Um, she is Leonardo DiCaprio's personal husband for many, many, many years. Why I love her is specifically because she is sort of taking the path uh, that I want to take. Like she is like the epitome. If I'm ever as good as Sean Grigg, I've I've done my job well. Um, she has been with Leo for years and years and has done all of his crazy special effects. Like she did The Revenant, um, you know, when he gets attacked by a bear oh, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. She um, She's done almost, I think, every film he's done in the past 15 years. I think she's been his personal. So she's incredible with special effects and she she designs her effects. Um, she does, like, a lot of times makeup artists, they'll have a studio that'll design the effects and make them and then the artist will apply them on set. But she is, she's done both where she will like design the special effects as well as apply them and be on set doing them. She's very hands-on and she's so talented in that world. She's also done like Kate Winslet and uh, I mean, everybody. And she does such exquisite beauty work and such exquisite special effects work. And I think most makeup artists are stronger in one or the other. And she's equally as strong in both, which is very rare. And that's what I want to be. Is that a common practice for for celebrities or particularly people that have a personal makeup artist? A lot of the time, yeah. Most makeup artists or most celebrities that have a personal, they'll have someone that they like to go to for their red carpet and press stuff. And then someone that they like to do their movies with. And it doesn't always cross over. It's not always the same person. Um, and I want to be that same person. <laughs> Obviously, you're amazingly talented at what you do. Thank you. What else makes you a hireable, desirable person to want to be around? Because like, for example, my mother, I don't know if I've even told you, my mother is a makeup artist. No, you have not told me this. I didn't, tell you, I didn't tell you this? No. How do I not know oh, this? Oh, yeah. My, my mom's a, a cosmetologist. Does hair and makeup. 
Oh, I feel like maybe I knew she did hair. Yeah. I had no idea she did makeup. She does makeup too. That's incredible. And so I know with seeing my mom work and number one, seeing uh, not just the element of her being a creative, but it's also an entrepreneurial aspect Mm -hmm. of what she's doing. She's a creative entrepreneur. And my mom was able to not just be great at what she does, but everyone became her friend Mm -hmm. because they're sitting in there in that chair and everyone's talking about their life or their husband or their girlfriend. They're Mm -hmm. talking about, she's just everyone's friend. And you've had that skill as well. Do you think that's also something that is in, um, something that is a major attribute to your career success as well? Yes. Honestly, to be completely frank, I think to be successful as a makeup artist, it's 50% skill and 50% people skills, business skills. Um, You can be an incredible makeup artist, but you only ever do makeup on yourself on YouTube and you don't talk to anybody else. Like the the people aspect of this job is so crucial. Um, And I've worked with a lot of makeup artists that... They're amazing artists, but they just can't connect with the with the talent, the actor, the models, whatever, in in a way that makes it comfortable and fun. If you're doing a movie with you know an actor and you're with them for four or five weeks at a time, you better hope you get along, you know. Right. And I've seen a lot of artists um, struggle with that, where they kind of have awkward interactions, or they just the, the actor doesn't really click with them. They don't enjoy working with them. Um, I think I've been very fortunate to where I've always had really good experiences with the people that are in my chair, which is very important. And luckily, I think I've been pretty good at it, I think. (laughs) That's one thing I learned from my mom. You know, I'm seeing like cosmetology from like a bird's eye view Mm -hmm. in in childhood was the level of trust that it takes that the first thing you see is a person's face and their hair. Yep. And my grandma always says, baby, you pretty. I was like, oh, thank you, grandma. She said, you want to say pretty? And I go, Yeah. Skin, teeth, and hair. Yo, yeah. Like these yeah. are the essentials. Like, you yeah. can gain three hundred pounds. Yeah. But when these things are intact, yeah, you're just a pretty big man. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, so important. How have you been able to, you know, establish trust? Sometimes it doesn't come super easy. I've had people sit in my chair that the very first time I'm doing their makeup, they ask me a lot of questions. They look at my products. They're a little particular. They'll tell me exactly how they like things. Um, Occasionally, sometimes they'll even do certain parts of their makeup themselves. Like they're particular about the eyebrows, so they'll fill in their own eyebrows. And especially if I'm doing a movie, sometimes it takes the first couple of days for them to really settle in. Um, When they sit in the chair, it's usually like five o'clock in the morning or something terrible. Um, And I'm the first person they see. And they're going to go on camera knowing that I just did their face. So I help them relax, first of all, and just be like, you got to chill out when you're in my chair. This is your like half an hour, hour, whatever, to just relax. Um, And I'm pretty good at helping them just relax. And once they're relaxed and we start working and they see my work and then, you know, day two, day three, they're like, okay, this is good. This is fine. On the set of a film, are you getting a lot of critiques from the particular actor or the director? Like who is the person that is... Person to give critique? Right. Um comes from everybody that usually I mean actors obviously will have a big say in their character and how they want to look and feel before they go on camera Um, so it'll definitely be a lot of conversation happening between me and the actors just in that in that personal hour that I have with them or however long in getting them to the point that they are happy with how they look and how their character is before they go on but the creative initially happens with the director and the producer kind of talking about the looks um, and about the story and about the characters before I ever even meet the actors. So I get the initial creative from them. Um, and then a lot of times if we're on set, sometimes 
they'll want something to be tweaked or something won't look on camera like we thought it did and we'll and we'll do tweaks. But for the most part, once we get going, there's more conversation happening with the actors because um, I've kind of already had the conversations with the director. Okay. You know, I ask every person uh, before we wrap up uh, the interview. You know, every person is in the pursuit of greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I interview someone that worked with, you know, Michael Jackson or worked with Prince, uh, they've all sacrificed something to get to where they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'll go into their house and there'll be Grammy plaques all over the wall. And every time I look at those Grammy plaques or I look at those awards, I think about, you know, wow, the, the what sacrifice that person made to achieve what they achieved. Mm-hmm. Um So what have you sacrificed uh, to achieve greatness? A comfortable life with a steady paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) Stability. Stability. Eight hours of sleep. Yo, yeah, for real. I mean, this job is aging me. And I love what I do. I'm so many days I'll still wake up and be like, I can't believe this is my life. I still don't feel like I've quote unquote made it, but I know I'm making it. And I feel so lucky and so blessed. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But- you know, I see friends and, you know, colleagues that have normal nine to five jobs or something at least more steady than, a, you know, freelance makeup artist. And they have a paycheck coming every week and they know their finances and they, they have, you know, they have a 401k, all these things, yeah. you know, they just have like this adult life. And I still feel in so many ways, like I'm this kid just like figuring it out day by day. And it's getting easier. Um, you know, I'm climbing, but it has been a struggle. And, the struggle never ends and the hustle never ends and the sleeplessness never ends. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like I'm 40. Sometimes I feel like I'm 12. Depends on the day. But yeah, yeah stability. I was, was going to say the same thing. It, it's, it's, I still feel like I wake up like doing what we're doing right now. The thing that this is like what I want to do with my life yeah. is I feel like a kid. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're feeling like a kid while you're doing it. Yes, very you know? much so. And I think that's one thing we're all just getting old, but we're just getting old differently. Yeah. Right? Like the person who has stability, mm-hmm. they have no freedom. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And they're looking at our life like, wow, I just wish I could just be just free and yeah, just, you know, exactly. I could be on set and be creative and use my hands and use my mind and, yeah. you know, build also like also to relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Like just because we're as freelancers, we're able to just build so many relationships. There's no limits. Yeah to where we can go. Yeah. Like I even find like in like the corporate structure of life, you know, if you're the assistant producer, it may be hard to even, you can't even email the CEO to ask them a question. Right. You have to go through the commands. Yeah. Yeah. And for us being freelancers, we can just talk to the boss. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's the the personal, the, the social aspect of the job is so much fun. Meeting just so many different people, so many different places. And every day is new. Every day is a new playground, which is, like you said, it's like being a kid. Most of the time when I'm working, it's it doesn't necessarily feel like work, which is great. I just feel like I'm like, I'm hanging out, I'm meeting people, I'm doing makeup, I'm having fun. Every day is completely different. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I, I'll take the the money struggle and the, you know, one day having a $200 meal and the next day eating peanuts. I'll take that for for the, you know, the freedom of the job and the love of the job for sure. You know what? I have one more question before we get out of here. Yeah. I want to end on this note. What was the most amazing day of your life as a makeup artist? There's been so many when I'm on movie sets where I'm just like, I'm hanging out with the crew and we've become family at that point and we're in some beautiful location and we're all just hanging out, having fun shooting a movie. And I'm just like, this is 
incredible. This is so much fun. The happiest moment of my life, but it's happened so many times. I can't even count. That's great. That's a great thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Christy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, like, I'll see you this weekend. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll probably <laughs> see you like later today. <laughs> Take care. All right, bye. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast. And to our special guest, Christy Strait. I'll have the link to Christy's website and Instagram in the description of this episode. This episode was edited by Bradley Naiman. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. And before we leave, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. Other People's Podcast is the TRL of podcasting, where I interview your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I have the link for that in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.